Hello and welcome to this special Christmas episode of the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name's Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack. And this week, well it's not really this week because I'm recording this on the 23rd of December, uh, just before going off on Christmas holidays. And the plan is that we're going to play it out between Christmas and New Year. Because I've been saying for weeks and weeks that I'm going to release some of the recordings that we've done at live events uh, this year. So this is the first one of those. It was recorded at the School of Visual Arts in New York uh, on the 18th of October. And we had Ben Yarling from American Cordata, Chris Eisenberg from Victory Journal and Sarah Forbes Keogh from Putter Egg on It. Um, three very different types of magazines, all made in New York and all of them speaking about their experiences of doing that. Listening back to this has been really nice for me. Like it was a it was a really fun night with a really good crowd and I hope that comes across in the recording. There's a special interest for Stack subscribers in here in that this month's magazine sent out on Stack is American Cordata. So if you are a Stack subscriber and you've enjoyed this month's magazine, uh, you get to listen to Ben talking about the, the making of that magazine and especially his juxtaposing of different elements with each other, which I just think is really, really interesting. Um, I'm very pleased to say that this episode is sponsored by Park Communications. They were there with me in New York. And as ever, if you are thinking of making your own print magazine, maybe you've got a project that's on the boil for 2017, it would definitely be worth dropping them a line. Okay, that's it for now. I hope you enjoyed this conversation from New York with the guys from American Cordata, Victory Journal and Putter Egg on It. Thank you very much for that very warm round of applause. Um, we're here tonight for our special uh, independent magazines of New York night. We've got three really different independent magazines um, to, to present to you. Um, so starting from my left, we have uh, Ben Yarling from American Chordata, um, or Chordata. Yes, yeah. I know it can be. Yeah, we're the same thing. <laughs> it looks like a chore data to me. Yeah. Um, so really uh, exciting literary magazine that is like, like equal parts literary fiction, poetry, art, all kind of like mashed together so that things bounce off each other and become greater than some of their parts. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we have uh, Chris Eisenberg from Victory Journal. Uh, so, large format uh, sports magazine, which I mean, I've been a fan of for how many years have you been doing it now? Uh, six years. Six years, yeah. all right. So, nearly as long as Stack. Yeah, and you've been kind to us along the way. Thank you, man. <laughs> um, I, and actually, like, really interesting, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but the, an example of one of the magazines that comes out of an agency, so is part of like a, a broader kind of structure. Um, and then down at the end, we have Sarah Forbes Keogh from Put an Egg on It. Um, so the the tasty zine, you call it? Sure. Yeah. So Brooklyn-based food magazine, but with a very sort of like zine-y um, heart. Yeah. Okay, so I'd like you to um, take us right back to the beginning and tell us how did the magazine start and why? Well, why did you find yourself doing this? Okay, um, it started around my kitchen table, I think, about eight years ago. Um, <clears throat> Ralph, who's over there in the blue shirt, I don't know. Um, we have worked together, we went to SVA actually, so we went here and we met um, in a philosophy class. And we um, worked on other people's magazines and had jobs together, um, him as an art director and me as an editor or a photographer. And uh, at some point we just wanted to um, stop working on other people's magazines and talking about magazines and just make our own project. And so we started with a dinner party, invited people over, we bought all of our ingredients from the bodega on the corner and tried to figure out the best way to make the most fanciest possible meals from the corner store and did a photo shoot and published that as an eight page magazine and that was the first issue. 
then from there we turned it into what it is now and like, built it up into a magazine. And so what, how would you describe it now? If you, if you began as an eight-page staple zine, what, like, how would you describe where you are now? Um, it's perfect bound now. We're at um, 72 pages. Um, we just we just jumped up um, eight pages, so. and um, it's uh, the, di this, the dinner party story and the idea of people eating together and the conversations across the table is really the, the, the heart of it, and that has just kind of expanded. That it's sort of led everything else that we've done. So there's you know personal essays, um, there's a few art stories. Uh, some of them are a little more documentary. Um, some of them are more historical. Some of the more conceptual depends, but but the idea of um, you know sitting together across the table and the social aspects of eating um, mm -hmm. is really the, the heart of it. Uh, and so, Chris, the the same for you. How did this whole thing start? Um, well, I grew up here in, in the city uh, as just a sports obsessed kid. Um, you know, loving the Yankees at that time. Hating the Mets, you know, worshiping, worshiping, <laughs> worshiping Muhammad Ali, um, John McEnroe, consuming Sports Illustrated, Inside Sports, uh, wearing the Yankee uniform as my everyday outfit uh, with a plastic batting helmet, just being that kid who was obsessed. And um, I, after university, um, worked as a freelance writer. Um, and was on staff at Details Magazine from 2000 to 2002, uh, which was great in some ways and restrictive in others. Like, it wasn't really okay to go talk to the uh, photo editor and suggest, like, which photographer I wanted or that I wanted the layout to be different or this story should be a graphic novel. It was just like, yo, write your copy, Chris, and do the heads and decks when it's time. Um, you know, I think I'm part of that generation where the magazine industry, as we knew it, kind of ended. But like the, the model was under pressure, um, and uh, I found my way into t-shirts and did this kind of sports art project called Nomos, um, which led me to curate an issue of uh, Frank magazine, um, which was which was really cool because it was like. You could do your magazine one time. They didn't pay you anything to do it, and gave very little budget. But you could, you could have like one. Um, and I didn't know exactly like what to do afterwards, but that felt amazing. Um, and I was kind of looking to to get back to that, um, and uh, fell in with some different partners. Um, so Frank's really tiny, and Victory is really big, um, and that. That kind of reflects the taste of the, the art director uh, who works with me, Aaron. So it all feels, it's like a snaky line, but it's all, all kind of linear. Um, we did our first issue in 2010 around uh, the World Cup, um, which was a free magazine and placed in a, you know, a bunch of likely bars around, around the city. Uh, I think it was 16 pages. We printed in Queens on newsprint. Um, I was just telling someone about Linko, where we yeah. print, which is uh, yeah, which is fantastic. And we eat dumplings and you know tell them to put more cyan, like right while it's on the press. Um, and now we're like perfect bound and 160 pages and printed in Canada, and it costs sixteen dollars. I don't know if that's better or worse but that's that's, that's, <laughs> that's where you find yourself now yeah uh that's 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 the state of things all right so so for you two we've got like kind of a through line from like where you started to where you find yourselves now ben how about you was the like how did this whole thing all start for you um should have anticipated that question <laughs> 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 uh, well i guess the kernel of it. I mean, I've been a magazine reader a long time. Um, one version might be, uh, I was at a party with Bobby, our art director, um, and we were just talking about magazines and things we were working on. Um, I'm a book editor, so I haven't come up in 
We get a lot of reviews that call it book-like. So <laughs> there might be something to that. But, um, yeah. But we were just talking about uh, how magazines we liked and decided why don't we start a magazine and then we probably had a meeting and tried to come up with a name and it was all just very ambiguous and faded away um, but I remained kind of serious about it as I like live my life and watch too much Netflix <laughs> uh, I was reading Watermark Joseph Brodsky's book Watermark and he uses this word chordate um, he's talking about something different from the way we use it kind of like the evolution of intelligent life um, this atavistic sort of thing um, but something about that word which I had to look up because I didn't know it uh, just, just struck a chord with me and brought me back to this magazine idea and uh, yeah I mean I was surrounded by all these people who work in book publishing or in the arts like uh, PhD programs people who had the skill set to do this thing um, so yeah I wrote a bunch of emails talked to a lot of people over there <laughs> that I wrote to that day um, yeah, and it came together and it's been surprising uh, that people like you <laughs> paid any attention to it, but I, I think it came together uh, a lot better than we thought it could. Just the responses we got when we started soliciting submissions and the interest from this community that uh, didn't seem as real until we started talking to it. <laughs> And I think one of the things you do that, and I alluded to it before, is this thing where, so you'll put a piece of photography next to a story, and the photograph wasn't commissioned for the story. Right. But you end up with this uh, kind of interaction between the two that, you know, so you can end up with a photo of like maybe a flower, but it's next to this story about something very violent that happened, and that changes the tone of both things. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorite parts if not my favorite part of, of doing it like we don't want to illustrate if we're working with literary fiction and poetry there's something kind of heavy-handed about just illustrating what's happening in the story so it's more interesting to us I think when me and Bobby had those conversations was about work he finds seeing how the art comes together with the stories and creates these conversations and that aren't literal depictions of the action of the story or something uh, yeah it's always kind of spooky the way it like morphs into this thing that that uh, transcends what it might have been in manuscript when you combine the things and, and Chris this is, so you mentioned before when you were like annoying your colleagues yeah trying to get them to do yeah. things <laughs> as, like comic strips which now you do now you made me feel literal. Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's next level. I'm not, I'm not staple for us also um, has been like a long form piece with uh, hopefully not too literal but kind of like sumptuous or weird illustrations that, that help you um, imagine the story I don't know if I would do that with poetry but like with uh, you know 60s, 70s like southern female wrestling circuit hero that uh, was a drug informant and dealt with the FBI and got shot and came back and wrestled the fabulous moolah. It's like a little, cool. like, it lends itself to, uh, to um, yeah, it's called The Legend of Panther Girl. So, um, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not even sure what the question is. <laughs> <laughs> what the prompt is, is like, Ill illustrating or... No, 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 I think that's the, the you don't need to apologize, yeah. that's the perfectly relevant um, answer. The, um, 
you, another uh, a big part of the reason for you wanted to start the magazine was also trying to get back to something that you saw as kind of a, like a better age of sports yeah. journalism. Um, I mean, I don't know. I collect like uh, old Esquires, um, old Sports Illustrated, Sports Magazine, Vintage Club Magazine. You know, with Leon Spinks interviewing like weird dollhouse porn. I like, you know, I, I, I think the craft that went into like the magazines that I was looking at at that time, from you know Nat Geo to to Playboy, whatever, like we could get our hands on. Um, there was a craft of writing. There was uh, there was a lot more illustration at, at that time, even like. An NFL game day program would have like some sick painting that it took someone like you know a month to do, um, and I feel like it just it what it resulted in was a little bit more of a human take on sports, which when things got really glossy um, between you know maybe like where ESPN the magazine at the time and Sports Illustrated were taking it and what advertising looked like just like wasn't resonating with me personally as how I experienced sport, the kind of stories I wanted to hear, the, the tonality of what I kind of wanted to connect with. So yeah, very much it was like, all right, well, how could we do our own version of that? Or maybe, you know, we just wanted to do something and those things weren't forming yeah, um, yeah. What, what, what we did. And, and that's, a, I mean, it's a very common thing when I speak to people who are making magazines. The, you know, the question of like, so why are you doing it? It, it very often comes down to, well, the thing that's there in the mainstream is not what represents me or not what I'm interested in. There's like, there's a better way of, of doing this thing. And so it feels like with the... Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so like food publishing is typically like beautiful yeah it's very like aspirational which is the opposite of how we are <laughs> not that we don't want things to look nice but like we're also just you know messy and just interested in the reality like a, a more of a sort of a documentary style um, <clears throat> or at least some thought behind it you know I don't, I don't know but we're yeah we're trying to just bring it back to how people actually eat so what like so you started with your dinner party which you documented mm -hmm. and turned into a magazine what now is like your ideal story in the Mac? Well, um, there is there is a dinner story at the center of each issue, and it's usually what's also on the cover. Um, and that um, we've gotten those from all kinds. I mean, it's not always a dinner, but it's always a meal of some kind, and we've asked people from all over the world to shoot it. You know, sometimes it's a photographer, sometimes not even. Um, and that one's. I've, um, I just, yeah, I like gathering those kinds of, like, just watching different kinds of meals, from family meals to celebrations to, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then, um, and then as far as the personal essays go, I mean, I just tell people to write it, to, to, like, tell me a story about food, and it can really be anything, and I like when it, when it goes off in unexpected directions. Which it basically always does. Yes. <laughs> the, I mean, so I, I'm, like, here in New York because I've been a big fan of like all these magazines for a long time and I'm really interested in what's happening here at the moment. Mm -hmm. But I'm also interested in like what is that like for all of you? So you're here making magazines in the city now. Do you like do you feel like do you feel like you're part of a broader group of magazines or like a time? I think to some degree, yeah. Um, <clears throat> we um, we definitely talk to other magazines. Um, here in New York and in other places, and people give each other advice. You kind of get a sense of like, you know, writers you might want to talk to by reading other people's magazines and you know things like that. And we started we started a little group called a Little Magazine Coalition where we um, we haven't met in a while, but we we would meet at our studio and talk about you know the problems that we face as a tiny publication and ways that we can come together and make those things easier. So that I think, but also I've noticed that when we travel um, internationally. People always want to know like what it's like being in Brooklyn and what that means, and I feel like in in that sense, like in a sceny sense, I don't necessarily feel like I'm part of that. Like I have you know my friends and my stuff, but feels 
a little strange to be, always be like, yes, you, the magazine from Brooklyn that you make in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> How about you two? Do you like, what's your sense of that? Um, I guess like my, you know, wild running scene days were not really spent with independent magazines. I've gone to a, and it kind of preceded me doing this and was not professionally focused at all. But um, we've met with, uh, we had like a sit down with um, Hello Mister and a bunch of other like Brooklyn magazines. And that was, it was a very nice night to, to kind of like swap stories and share. But um, in the end, like in trying to figure out how it works for you, your magazine and your group. I don't know that anyone else can really help you that much. Maybe in a maybe in like a, a early formational time. I mean, it would have been nice. I think around issue one, issue two, to have talked to some to some other people. I don't think the scene was as robust as it is now, and just get advice about printing and distribution and like how to take impact and just like some of the basics of it, but ultimately the challenges of like, you know, being inspired enough to just do it again and again, and then figuring out the economics of it, you just gotta, you know, your your team has to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if like, anyone like here in the room is like thinking about making mags or is making mags at month, but um, there's a thing that I always point people to, the publishing playbook by Human After All. So they're the guys who made uh, Little White Lies magazine. They make Weapons of Reason now. And they basically just put like 10 years worth of things that they learned online for free. And it's just like a Google Doc and you request access. And it's, I mean, they've got everything from like profit and loss stuff to like, you know, how do you commission? And uh, it's just, it's a brilliant resource. So. Well worth checking. Was it again? It's got the publishing playbook, and it's by Human After All. Um, and I guess that so so it leads to an interesting question. So you, you have like your um, your stuff that you just need to do as a mag for yourself. What about like the stuff you don't do yourself? So like you know. Where's the magazine printed? Do you do you print in the U.S.? Um, we we started like I was saying, uh, printing at Linko, which is in Long Island City, which I definitely would recommend um, for. The, I mean, they do they do a number of, of things, but we were uh, just like a, a large format, like broad, you know, kind of broadsheet newsprint um, when we started. It didn't have staples. It was just like I can't remember loose fold or however you call it. Um, and then uh, now we print with Transcontinental in, in Canada um, and they've been uh, a good partner so far but um, I think you know you're kind of constantly thinking about the object and how it can evolve and how it can be more perfect and what the pricing is and how to you know like where the strategic places have been printed because of where you're distributing to um, yeah, like like Park was saying, I'm, I'm, I think it's good to have like many options and just figure out what's best. Yeah, of course. But how, how about you two? You, whereabouts are you actually producing the magazine? Um, we we print in Canada also at Prolific. Same. Um, well, as of the third issue, uh, which I'm happy about. We were using this printer in New Jersey before. Um, but I won't say the name of. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, you like them so much, you yeah. don't want to <laughs> I mean, they were they were helpful to us in in the beginning, but um, things like paying for uncoated paper or for coated paper and getting uncoated, and it was I mean it was digital printing, and we switched to offset. Our run got big enough that we could do that. Um, I didn't mean to talk bad about this printer. They were beautiful people. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, prolific. I mean, this guy Chris, <laughs> he's, he's a legend. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like those Canadians have—they've uh, got it sewn up. Yeah. The, and, and what about where your readers are? So, the, are your readers primarily in New York or the USA, or like where, whereabouts? 
Well, yeah, it's interesting. Um, it kind of comes back to that that scene question because yeah, I agree that there's like a kind of community where people are talking to each other behind the curtain, editor to editor. And, um, but among readers, it seems like there's a more pronounced independent magazine, uh, a readership that thinks of themselves as selves as an independent magazine readership, like Stack subscribers, for example, I would imagine. Um, whereas here, it seems to me, uh, and I could be very wrong about this, but there's like a pretty pronounced art book scene and zine scene. You get the fair, and you have you have a lot of design culture. Uh, not as many people talk about it as like independent magazine thing. So in my experience, and I think we made a wise choice in branding ourselves more as an independent magazine than as a literary magazine, which nobody cares about. <laughs> uh, well, a lot of people care about it. I care about it. But <laughs> uh, there are a lot of literary magazines and they're, they're doing similar things, but we were trying to do it in this kind of uh, dressed up DIY but luxury looking way and by going abroad to the independent magazine scene uh, I think we were able to like loop it back and find a readership in the US uh, after tapping the influence of that European and Australian so is, market is that thing of making it seem like because people over there care about what you're doing it means that people yeah. here then care about what you're doing right like when you publish something <laughs> you're one of the first people that responded to our like call about it um, and sent you a copy and, and you did that interview and then we heard from mag culture and later it's nice that and those kind of people and um you get that kind of attention from from people who are who are putting their energy into this mm. this uh, area like that. It it helps when you come back and have to say you're a literary magazine in New York. I think to find readers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how about you two? Where, whereabouts uh, do you find your readers? I would say, I mean, just something similar about like the the British scene and just being introduced to people like you and Jeremy. I think it's one thing to kind of consume the magazine and there's this other consumption with has to, that has to do with like people that know the whole range of your influences just by looking at it and are kind of like clocking everything that you're <laughs> doing with it. And I think you might be giving us too much credit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it feels like there's, you know, not only a community of readers, but a, like this huge community of people that are making magazines or thinking about making them or, or are, are critical about them with a level of knowledge that's very formidable there. So I, our readership is, you know, kind of spottily around, around the world and getting to a place where, you know, it's kind of like in all the places where the independent magazines are, which, you know, is a, is a lot of places now, but I don't know that we have in New York this kind of scene that you have there. It's awesome that you're, you know, trying to gather it and put put your arms around it, but like, you know, in terms of some of the classes that you guys are teaching, it feels like this whole, like, like a pathway of people who've almost come up through that, that all know each other, that, are, you know, like, come to the Stack Awards and then like, I don't know. Or You're coming this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, if, if, if we win all of them. <laughs> um, yeah, that seemed very romantic and uh, exciting to me, what, what was going on there. And, and even though I've met other people here, if you, go to, if you go to the PS1 art book fair, it's just like, oh my god, I'm one of like a billion fucking people that's doing something, yeah. and now I'm disgusted with myself. And, <laughs> else. Um, and the, there's, just, there's just something a little friendlier about about the London scene in some ways. We are a lot smaller. And so, um, uh, Sarah, how about you? Whereabouts are your readers? Um, I would say something similar. Like we have um, readership all over the world and in various places, and I think. Um, in London, because of you and Jeremy and um, other sort of friends of ours who have 
done nice things for us. Like we have a good set of people there, and we've done projects in Tokyo, so we have some good um, readership, and we play some in Japan, and and then in New York since that's our home. But then also because we're a food magazine, we have a whole other set of readers who are just into food and into cooking. Because there's a recipe section in the back, so people look at that. And you're you're bringing all this to London next month. Yeah. What are you going to be doing there? Um, we're going to do, we do this project um, called If I Knew You Were Coming, I'd Have Baked a Cake. And it's, um, it's this kind of idea that like when you have an unexpected guest to your house, like what do you sort of throw together to make them feel welcome and give them a meal. And um, so I'll be cooking um, at the Ace Hotel in London um, for three days and people should come and see me and trade me a story about a memorable meal for a meal. And we'll have a little pop-up shop of stuff that we've picked up. Um, we went to Tokyo and then New Orleans, and now we're going to London. And so we'll bring stuff from those places and from New York, and we'll just hang out. So you should come and join us for some food and tell us a story. I'll definitely come. I'll try and bring a story as well. We can bring that to Brooklyn. Um, we're going to travel around the world and then bring it back here. <laughs> um, so with all of the uh, challenges that you've talked about and the, the difficulties and things, what is it that makes you keep on doing this thing? What, what is it that made you think, I'm going to go to London next month and make all this happen? Um, just the, the connection that you make with people over food, I think, um, is a large part of it. Like The stories that we've shared um, and heard from people in the process makes us just want to kind of keep doing that part of it and I think the magazine is also a version of that in a way and people that we've met and the kinds of um, kinds of stuff that we've learned and gathered as we've gone have been a really rewarding experience. Mm. Um, I'm going to ask for questions from the audience in a minute so um, please think about what you want to ask the, the panel. Um, I, I know like, mums are allowed to ask the, the questions. Okay, this this could be like your moment. So. <laughs> um, I'm interested in, in Victory Chris in terms of the role that that plays like within the agency. The, yeah. Is is the because it's it's quite a common model for uh, agencies to have their premium products, kind of like their their calling card. Yeah. Do, does Victory fit that bill, or is it actually a slightly different beast? Um, maybe it's common now. Uh, when we started, that definitely wasn't wasn't like we didn't have a business model in mind. It was just something that we wanted to do. Um, it definitely, particularly like for our <coughs> second issue, which was like more ambitious um, than than the first, it led to us getting work and it led to the photographers that we worked with getting work in a way that made it um, you know financially viable at that time to kind of like get more ambitious and continue to do it at that level and that's still uh, still a part of the equation I think the magazine also has a life of its own uh, and there are many people that at this point know the magazine that don't know and don't care about the agency and I, I like that balance because I, I think like if you're just the window dressing for the agency like that I feel that would grow old after a time and I'd like to see you know like of those agencies that have magazines like let's see how high the numbers go that they get up to and you maybe know like how sincere the, the effort is um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was saying, like, even, you know, we, we make some films as well, and working with filmmakers, you might not be able to make a living as a documentary filmmaker. You might need to balance, like, um, making documentary films with making some commercial films or doing some industrial sometime or taking a side gig, like, as a DP for a day or doing editing for someone else. So, um, however you make it work, you know, you, you make it work, and, and hopefully as you go, other business models and other opportunities kind of emerge as, as they have, but it's always, the landscape is always changing too, and maybe six years ago it was a great idea to, you know, have an agency magazine model, maybe now there's too many of them, and two years from now, like, that won't be a good idea, who knows. 
and, and Ben, for you, the the magazine like it kind of fits around the rest of the stuff you do. So you like you work full time, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I work double full time, but uh, <laughs> there there's a beautiful future, and maybe maybe I don't do that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of the the agency model creates a space in which there's like a safety net sort of that um, I pine for at times. Uh, you see it with like Wayward Wild and Human After All and um, people just putting out really excellent work and having contacts and it's it's like it's a cool thing. Um, I find that yeah one of the most difficult things is keeping up conversations and like uh, just producing this thing and engaging we're a biannual so how do you maintain the attention of a readership in over six months Um, so it's very demanding but there are also ten of us um, and everybody helps a lot with that Um, and we try to share the load or else we wouldn't be here right now Um, but yeah it's a it's a balance I like I like editing obviously (laughs) Um, but it is rewarding and we build these relationships with contributors and we've from the first issue I remember getting this email that um, Colby Halloran had gotten an agent who was then shopping around her her memoir which, you know, that kind of, like, gut feeling like we did something here for somebody. So that came somebody. from being published in? Yeah, from reading, being read in American Cordata. Um, it's those kinds of things that make it worth it, I think. <laughs> um, all right, so I was going to ask for questions from the audience. Do you have anything they want to ask the panel? Or just tell the panel? Um, I'll see you guys. I guess this question is for the whole panel. you learn a lot of things from, from issue one like issue one is all about is doing it just obviously let you learn a lot along the way what would you say was like the most important lesson that you learned uh, someone after three lessons mm-hmm. what, can you, what can you tell him in some ways I think it's all there at the start you know it's, it's like your, your intention and your inspiration is uh it's all there with the first one, um, and even to the second and third. When it's like you're getting to 10, 11, 12, um, and you know you need to be mindful of like not repeating yourself or like you know you've done it for a while, and uh, you need to summon up the inspiration and energy to do it again. In some ways, I feel more in the reverse. Like you want to learn again from like that person that you were when you first made it um, and listen to, to like what they would say about about anything and bring that same like fire to to the next the next issue. Um, for us, yeah, I think that um, in a sense there's there's like a heart that's always been there. But as we've as we've grown and we've added pages and we've um, things have evolved, I think that that same <clears throat> that same feeling and that same sort of set of ideas, we've, we've like refined it a bit, but it's always, you know, it's always been there. And I think we use that as we go forward um, and, and change things and grow and, and as like a sort of a way to, um, I guess, just like check and see if what we're doing makes sense as far as the, the vision. Because um, we, we do lots of other things. And so, you know, the magazine is very, <clears throat> has a very sort of specific path. And then, you know, and then if it doesn't fit, we just sort of shove it for another project. Um, yeah, for the first issue, well, there are obviously a lot of literary magazines, so I, I do think we're doing something a little different. <laughs> uh, and that's why we're doing it. But I, 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 one of the things that I think was most important at the beginning was uh, taking what we felt to be like our way of doing it and packaging that into some sort of brand uh, in the context of all these other magazines and having a message uh, and coming out 
confident and sounding stable because nobody wants to like if you approach a review publication about a magazine and they think they're they're making an investment in you if they think you're going to be gone in six months then uh well you don't want them thinking that (laughs) uh so yeah i mean and i've seen this with friends making magazines and stuff it will putting the care into because it feels weird it's like you're you're putting artistry into something it feels weird to package it down boil it down into some sort of kind of salesy sounding phrase or something like that but you you really need well I I won't tell you what you need but I found that we needed a brand we needed something to say that made us stand out and that kind of like even if it was reductive, said what we were doing. Um, I also find as, as time goes on that it's important to, well, like these guys said, <coughs> excuse me, uh, remind ourselves of our values, but also remind myself of, of, of the like joy in it, because it's a lot of work all the time. Um, but it, it means something. Uh, and it can, it can be easy to get in your head and like into the logistics because you have to figure out how is this going to get into stores and like what are our pricing models going to be? How often do we remind subscribers? Who's going to, are we going to do a distributor and, and lose 40% or whatever? And, or a fulfillment service? Uh, these kinds of detailed things. And, and when you're thinking about those sorts of things and trying to find write free web app for your <laughs> logistical need. Uh, it can be easy to forget uh, that you like doing it and that it's what you like about it and why it feels good. Uh, so I'm finding that it's important to step back occasionally and, and say, like, this is cool. <laughs> I totally agree. Uh, on, so while we're like, on the subject of advice, what about the stuff that's gone wrong? What about the stuff that, what things have you done that you would absolutely not do again? Mm. Never print in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, in, for our fourth issue, which still maybe is my favorite issue, is like, uh, devoted to Muhammad Ali, um, we were we were printing with Linko uh, in Queens, and there were something you know the color was spotty, and sometimes there like the pages wouldn't line up exactly; they wouldn't fold right at the right point. And um, someone in our office was like, "Hey, I know I know this printer down there, like." It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be better. The, you know, they do proofs, and, and we went we went down there, and basically, it opened up. It's kind of like the devil, you know, you know, like that rule. The pages were sliding. It was like sometimes they were way to the right, and sometimes they were way to the left. I don't know what was wrong with the machines, but the margin of error like in this kind of like basement, like literally somewhat rat infested, you know, like (laughs) immigrant Chinese shop in Queens versus like this more state of the art place in in Pennsylvania. Like I didn't realize how good we had it with these people and how much craft they were applying. And it it was just like the horror of, of understanding like how bad it, it, it could get um, and not doing an experiment first or really yeah. doing enough research and then just like having 10,000 copies of something that like I was totally proud of the content of but I, I wasn't proud of how it was printed and like even you know sending it uh, to Thomas Hopker a magnum photographer and he's like oh, you know this is this is a very strong and interesting project. Like, uh, you know, the print quality a bit weak, but um, <laughs> like, oh, shit. Um, Linko, please, like, take it back. Um, yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think there is like, so as a lesson for other people, um, know what you're getting into before you jump. Whether that's a distributor, 
whether that's uh, a printer, whether that's like a partner, it's just like be be sure, don't be don't be cavalier about things yeah. like that. I, I totally agree with that because it's such a small project and there's like really like you don't have a lot of extra money to spend, like you don't really have much of a margin of error, so you have to really think about those kinds of things before you do them. I also try never go to Pennsylvania and I love my gun. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about distribution and what are the pitfalls and how early into the facility do you do? How early into publishing did you partner with a distributor or So we got a little caught, I would say, between like a free and a paid model. Um, again, because we did not model or think about what we were doing entirely as a business proposition when we started doing it so there wasn't really like a excel spreadsheet <laughs> as, as any part of the process um so for the first four to five issues like we had i think even wider circulation than we do now but uh it was just like a beautiful free magazine and then some places overseas it was paid but it said it said $5 on the cover. So it was kind of too cheap for overseas distributors and magazine stores to really like adopt it. Um, and then a lot of our distribution here was conditioned uh, for it to be free. So we had to make this leap, which was like from five to $16, and like kind of change the whole market which made it a lot easier in Europe but I think it took us a while in the States to then find the distribution points that actually worked for a paid uh, you know like $16 magazine it was just different places some places worked some places didn't the through line has been uh, the Ace Hotel where it's in room um, and that's just been uh, an incredible um, an incredible way to distribute the, the product, not necessarily on a financial level, but on a awareness level, on a getting contributors level, and even like this Ali issue that I'm planning, printing about, um, was like uh, Lonnie's niece was staying at, at the New York Ace Hotel with her eight-year-old DJ prodigy son, and like <laughs> she saw it, she gave it to Muhammad, and we heard through her that Muhammad wanted more copies, and like we got to send copies to Muhammad. So it was like, you know, that would not have happened without that place. And there, you know, that's like the the biggest kind of like most momentous uh, sun sun rays coming through the cloud moment with them. But I think a lot of great people discovered it, um, and it's you know also been good with. So is it because you were working with a distributor, or so like what's the distribution format? Is it? I mean, I know you guys. Yeah. It was free, but if it's free, is it that you're going door to door and delivering them, or you yeah? Work? In the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, it was like that. You can't really work with a distributor unless there's something in it for them. For them, right? For so them. once we once we were at a price point that allowed for a distributor to make money, then we could work with a distributor. But until then, we had to figure it out all ourselves and that was kind of the trade-off is like there's just there was a certain point where like just paying to send them places you know it wasn't is, is not I think as broad as advice that went they went all the way free you know like now and now I think maybe they're kind of back in a, a paid space but they really built their brand entirely off of free but you have to be I think the the interest in it needs to be broad enough to really support shipping it all around the world, getting enough like ad revenue and everything to to do that. So um, yeah, it, it depends on the individual magazine. You know, the model you're talking about, it's like you got to be funded from from the beginning. You know, there's and there's no room for error, and I really admire that. That's 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 very hard to do, um, and you know, you just kind of have to find the right. Uh, balance for your own publication. Yeah, we do, we do a mix of things. We have um, some stores that we just do direct sales to because they're small or we've done them a long time. And that's, that's kind of how we started. And then we started 
uh, we have three distributors, four, oh. four now that we work with um, for different areas. And so we have one that does like some natural food stores in the Northwest, and then we have one that's more like magazine stores and one that's more art bookstores and places like that. And then, so it's it's really kind of like a hard balance and you know, you don't make tons of money from, from distribution, but it, it like affords you like a wider, and then you make more money from the direct stuff, but then that takes a lot of your time. So we, we spent a lot of time thinking about this and like researching and talking to people and a bit of trial and error, but it's, um, you know, I think we've got it to some degree to a place where it works. <laughs> There's a question at that there. Okay, um, appreciate all the insight so far. My question is, um, how do you think you maintain relevance, like that your perspective, your ideas, that your vision is fresh and new, if that's the goal, being in this independent market where you see like, a lot of zine culture popping up, or, more independent magazine being produced, how, how do you maintain your own relevance? Uh, I mean, I feel like it, that question of what other people are doing is always going to be crippling. Um, I don't know any other way than to just think about what we want to do and, and do it. And if we like it, hopefully other people will. Um, I mean, you have to find the, like I said before, the, the way to pitch it to people so that they realize it's something worth picking up because yeah. it's hard to get anybody's attention but um, yeah if, if I get like talking about going to the art book fair you know if I get too in my head about what other people are doing um, it just slows things down <laughs> I think also like we get sort of stuck in our own studio making our thing and I think interacting with our readership in various ways like making videos and, or like just like some kind of correspondence with people seems to help us also remind ourselves that we've got, you know, people reading the magazine who are interested in it and yeah. we should interact with them in various ways. Because we also come out six times, you know, twice a year, so we there's like big gaps between yeah. parties. Blunt force. Thank you. Cool. Hey, um, I'm from PA. <laughs> so I, I will not do so going forward. Um, you, Chris, you talk about like how does the uh, object evolve, um, and you know one way is through events. It seems like all of you kind of use um, the object as a way to bring bring people together face to face. Um, so how do you, you? Might not have an event strategy, but just how do you use these um, like an event tonight to bring? Build your community, build your audience, um, and just foster that 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 closer, deeper connection. Um, I guess uh, the cool thing about events is that you can collaborate with people, um, and it just it, um, it it affords an opportunity to do things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do within the confines of a print piece. So you can you know collaborate with people who are making films, people who are playing music, you know, all kinds of different stuff. <laughs> and, um, you know, bring it out into the world in different ways. So I think that, that makes it fun. I feel like that's an area where we're still learning. Um, it, it's like, you know, in the beginning, just like finishing it and getting your people together and having a liquor sponsor and having a mm -hmm. dance and just like, you know, letting letting it all out was kind of enough, um, and uh, we had some like great parties. There was one at the Saatchi S Gallery where like they paid for like our photos to be uh, our, our covers and a bunch of photos to be like huge twenty foot wall hangings, and it was like all you can drink. There were a thousand people there, and I don't know if it. How effectively it built our audience, but we, we, had, we had a tremendous time. And most recently, we did a launch party at the Explorers Club that was more like 200 people. Um, it, uh, it was a little more focused on contributors and people that we were more intentionally wanting to talk to than, you know, just like a flyer that was going to be passed around to, to everybody. Um, and this idea of like bringing people to a space that most of them had been before that was that was somewhat uh, relevant to the magazine vibe. Um, I'd love to evolve to where it's like there's, there's a meal and someone's 
you know, made a special object and, and like like little more dedicated events. I feel like they might have to be staggered to not be with a book release. Like you have to think of the event on its on on its own because it's just like it's so much to finish it and publicize it and like just organize that that party without even adding in extra <laughs> elements. But um, I mean, you get emails, you meet people in person. That's that's a place where people who want to contribute and be involved can kind of approach you. You're, you're let out of the cave for for a moment, and then like talk to some people. So they are they are important, and it can scale up. I think uh, you know, the way you're gesturing towards to something that really is is like a work in and of it itself yeah. is a happening in and of itself I, I don't know that we've gotten there yet I'm still aspiring to, to be one of those okay. I think one more question before we close up hey, I know this is a print event but are you guys thinking of leveraging all the newer stuff like is there do you not see any way we can have the same experience online or is that definitely to be aesthetic of the brand. You got an 11 by 17 tablet? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think of it differently. Like, I feel like um, there's a, not necessarily broader, but there's a slightly different set of things that I want to do in our sort of digital spaces that I wouldn't necessarily do in a print magazine. It makes me feel a little bit freer, and I can, um, like, I'm a photographer in, in the rest of my life, and so I can make videos and I can interview people, which is something we don't do in the magazine. And <clears throat> so I think it gives us another area which um, you know has the same soul of the magazine but is just a different space and, and we don't really repeat things in both places we do um, a free PDF with every issue uh, and we find that people want the print artifact and I think that's at least from where I sit it seems like that's a big part of the like the artifact uh, it's a big part of this independent publishing thing. It's it's a there's a lot of emphasis on design and the visual component. And for me, the the experience of reading online is not the same as. And maybe that makes me a luddite, or it's going to be like in ten years, uh, what makes me feel old or something. But uh, <laughs> something about the artifact uh, is different. Oh, thank you. Fit on bookcases. But if you're if you're making if your revenue model is based on subscriptions or copy sales or something uh, more so than ad sales, some independent magazines have the platform to to get the ads and the sponsors that enable them to make money, sort of like the the more commercial uh, magazines. But I think. A lot of these magazines are running on uh, subscription dollars. I could be wrong about that, but uh, and it, and it's more about yeah, the artifact. People want something in the mail. It's an art object, kind of. Yeah. On the digital level, I feel I feel like we've been focusing on film with just like docs and animation. Um, that the things that you can't do in print and kind of have like their own separate model but are totally related to the magazine and sometimes come directly from the magazine but uh, I, I mean I, I feel like for all of us and for everyone who's involved in this industry at all uh, if if you weren't going to make a physical object I don't know that these people would do it like they just wouldn't have done it in the first place because there is something there's a compulsion to make and keep the object that's so central to it. It's not just like, oh, this information can easily be translated into another medium. There's something a little bit magical about having the thing that just doesn't, can't make that leap. It's all about the magic. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, I think I'm, I'm gonna call it a night there. We have um, lots of wine in the corner, so please go and take some of that so I don't have to carry it home. Um, I'd like to say thank you very much to all of our speakers, to Sarah. <laughs> OK.
Okay, that's it for now. You can probably tell I got a little bit drowned out at the end there by uh, people eager to go and get magazines and drinks and stuff. Um, but I just really, I've really enjoyed listening back to this actually. It was a, a really good reminder of the way that the publishers who are over there in New York see the stuff that we're doing here in London in a very particular way. So seeing that perspective and especially hearing Chris talking about the London scene as somehow romantic and exciting and friendlier than what they have over there um, is I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I completely agree, but I think it's very interesting hearing his perspective on it. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to this. If you did enjoy it, you can find more on SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, just search Stack Magazines wherever you get your podcasts from and you should find more from us in there. And if you are listening to this on Boxing Day and you have some money that people have given you for Christmas, uh, don't forget you can get these magazines delivered to your door every month in 2017. Just go to stackmagazines.com and sign up for one of our subscriptions. All right, thanks for listening, and we'll be back, I think, next week with another of our live episodes.